It's the 22nd of August, 2021. So we should be intent on training our minds, these jittas, these minds, these knowing elements, the things that we need to train in order for them to have mindfulness, in order for wisdom to arise. So this, these qualities of sati, this recollection of mindfulness and sampajanya, this clear knowing. What kind of dhammas, what kind of qualities are there? Well, these are the two qualities which give us the most benefit out of all the qualities that there are. And so we hear this spoken very often, don't we? These words of mindfulness and wisdom or Sati and Sampajanya. And we have a degree of knowledge as to what this wisdom is. There's wisdom in terms of the world and wisdom in terms of Dhamma. And so with this Panya in the world, there's that which we gain from our studies, from the subjects that we learn about, the wisdom that we use in our occupations. And then a higher wisdom still is that of quick-wittedness. And so these are the, the kinds of wisdoms that we gain from the things that we study from these worldly systems. And there are also some people who are able to think outside of the box and gain success due to these original ideas and putting these ideas into action. And there's also the wisdom involved in practicing the Dhamma. So initially the knowledge that we gain from seeing, from listening, from studying. And just like we come to study the Dhamma. In the beginning, however, we don't know this path of practice. We're not aware of it. But there's this suffering, this discontent, which arises within our hearts. And so we seek for a path that will lead us out of that discontent. But we don't know what that is. We don't know the methods to get there. But the Buddha, he taught these methods that can lead out of suffering. He already spoke this. He already taught this. And these methods we've come to know about, we've come to study, we've come to read in the scriptures. And then we, so we study about Buddhism, more in general, kind of Buddhism, and also about the methods of practice as well, such as the four foundations of mindfulness, <clears throat> recollecting the body, the feelings, the mind, and the Dhamma. But when we read about this or hear about this, uh, we often don't know very deeply exactly how it is that we should put these into practice. Just like how we may read that if we practice sincerely and have firm faith, then within seven years we must be able to see the Dhamma. And if our samadhi is well established, then we'll be able to see quite a higher level of Dhamma and attain to a higher level of awakening. 
And so this is what is written there in the scriptures. And so we hear about this, we think about this, we gain a certain kind of understanding, and then we try to put that into practice. We give it a go. And then as we're studying along this path, then we start gaining a deep understanding of the methods of the practice, such as anapanasati, this mindfulness over the in-breath and the out-breath, or using methods of contemplation in order to bring the mind to peace. And so these are useful, these methods of contemplation, because in this present day and age, people use their brains a lot, we have to think a lot, and our lives are very much, in our work, very much concerned with the internet, with technology, and all of these things, they happen very quickly, and the mind needs to be up to speed with them, it needs to be quick as well. And so we trained our minds to think quickly, and they proliferate very quickly. In previous times, the amount of thinking, the amount of proliferation that was going on in people's heads was much less. And so it was easier for them to train their minds and bring them to peace. But in this current communication age, um, it's very rare that during the day our minds are with the body, or with feelings, with the mind, or with the Dhamma. And that our minds are sent out, sent externally, so frequently. And that's why we just don't see and understand the Dhamma. So some people practice and train through using contemplation. Contemplating the body as being something that's changing and constant, stressful, not self. Using wisdom to bring the mind to peace. And in this case, then, we should contemplate a lot. Because for some people, if they bring up these words of Buddha, Dhammo, Sangho, or try to stay with the chant, it to be so, the recollection of the Buddha, that they're able to do that. And for some people, their minds just don't stay. They just get scattered. And so if by chanting, then the mind becomes peaceful, if it's not scattered, if it's collected instead, then we should train ourselves and use that and then as we carry on training with that, then we may be able to visualize the letters of that chant within our mind. Or perhaps as we're chanting, then we can visualize uh, an image, a picture of the Buddha, one that we have a lot of faith in. We may be able to see this as a nimitta. And if we can do that, then that's very good. And so this is the methods of using peace first, in order for wisdom to come up later. And so we have mindfulness, uh, this recollection. And so if our mindfulness is well developed already, if it's something that we've already practiced and then trained with, then it will be swift. And if there are any of the defilements arising, then the mindfulness will be up to speed with them. It will be knowing, and we'll have a sense of ourselves, knowing that anger has arisen already, that this quality of sati is coming up knowing this. And then there's the sampajanya, this clear awareness of that anger, and knowing that we are still angry, that that anger is still present. And so this is true for hate, for fear, for love. These qualities of 
sati and sampajanya that know these. And um, so if that's the case, then these qualities are developed well already. And so where does this wisdom then come into play, and where does this come from? Well, if we have these qualities of sati and sampajanya, then wisdom will naturally arise. The wisdom that we use to contemplate these defilements, these emotions, asking ourselves, what are we angry about? What are we fearful about? What do we hate? What do we feel love towards? And so this wisdom then comes up. But what about mindfulness? Where does this come from? Well, this in turn comes from wisdom. This arises from wisdom. So if our mindfulness um, doesn't come from right view, if it's not recollecting the right thing, then this is wrong mindfulness, this is mitya sati. In order to have samma sati, this right mindfulness, this needs to come from right view. And so when there is this samaditi, this right view, uh, then mindfulness will follow, and we'll have mindfulness over the body, the feelings, the mind, and the dhamma. So if the mind is in quite a scattered state, if it's not peaceful, if it's very chaotic, and if it's excessively so, then we can try breathing in very deeply until our lungs are filled up, and then breathing out all of the air as well, and doing this a number of times. So in doing this, um, we are developing two things at the same time. Uh, We're using a method of the practice to bring the mind to peace, to calm it down, and we're also helping to exercise our lungs to make them stronger. And so we breathe in very deeply, breathe out very deeply, uh, bringing the mindfulness back to the body. And so these days um, there are exercises that have been taught uh, to people to strengthen their lungs, Um, using these deep breaths and also moving the body as well. So as we do that, as we breathe, as we move the body, then we should have mindfulness there over those movements. And so there are these two activities, strengthening our lungs and also developing our mindfulness as well. And we can also use contemplation, especially if buddho, this word of buddho, dhammo sangha, they're not staying, if the mind isn't able to to um, stay with these things if the mind just doesn't like them. Because some people may think, well, if I recite Buddha, then what will I gain from that? And so you should contemplate in that case. And this is what the Buddha taught for us to contemplate in order for wisdom to arise. Because we like wisdom, we understand that if we have wisdom, then we won't have suffering. And the Buddha taught that all physical and mental things are unstable, they're stressful, they're not self. And using this way of practice is that of vipassana, of this clear knowing or insight. And so if we have a fondness towards this way of practice, we like vipassana, and then we should use this, use wisdom in our practice. Contemplating bringing our mindfulness towards this body and investigating this body. 
And so there's mindfulness there in the body, and then there's sampajanya, this clear awareness, knowing that now we are contemplating this body, and not allowing the mind to go elsewhere, but to keep it constantly with this act of contemplation. And so sometimes we can contemplate the body in different ways. So sometimes we can see it as just being a skeleton. We can pull off the skin, the flesh, the sinews, and just see the bones there. And maybe an image of this will appear clearly within our minds, seeing the bones deteriorate, seeing them break apart, break apart. And then when they've broken apart, seeing them coming together again until they form back into a skeleton. And there may be a nimitta, a mental image of this happening back and forth, this body falling apart, decaying, and then coming back together again, and then decaying again. And an image of this may arise within the mind. But if there's no nimitta, then we can use our thoughts first to generate this way of seeing the body. And so this is using our wisdom in terms of the things that we've listened to and from the scripture, or read from the scriptures and the things we've listened to from the great teachers. And then we think about these, we contemplate them, contemplating the body, separating it apart, pulling off the flesh, seeing the blood there underneath. And so you may see within this body all of the liquid parts there within and see how the skin which covers all of those liquids is just very thin and if it tears or splits just a bit then these liquids start to come out and we see how there's no self within that it's all not self and so we can think about things in this way um, do it like this And sometimes we're able to do that effectively and sometimes we can't seem to be able to do it. Maybe sometimes we see an image within our minds of this and sometimes an image doesn't come up. But don't worry about that. Just carry on, carry on thinking uh, along these lines for wisdom to arise. Carry on investigating this body and seeing it as being something which is Um, deteriorating something which is inconstant, unstable. And see it as just being a heap of these elements of earth, water, fire and air, things which are always deteriorating, falling apart. And so there are many different ways that we can contemplate this body. There are many different um, angles at which we can perceive it. And perhaps we can look at the fire element in quite a subtle way and see the energy of that coursing through the body. Or we can perceive the liquids in the body in a very subtle way. And it's even possible to see the earth very subtly, very in a very refined manner. And really all of these four elements we can contemplate in a subtle and refined way. If our minds are in a subtle state, then they'll be able to see the body in that subtle way. But in the beginning, we need to use these thoughts, we need to use that kind of wisdom first in order to contemplate. And then we just carry on contemplating like this, and then the mind will be brought to peace. And so this is using our wisdom to cultivate samadhi, having this mindfulness, this recollection appearing.
And this comes from right view. And then from that right view, we have this right recollection, right mindfulness, and knowledge can arise. And so sometimes we need to um, use our thinking and use the studying, um, reading, and gain the kind of understanding that arises from that. And so there are Krupajans who bring up this kind of analogy of a child who is studying. And initially they may not be able to recollect the right answer, but when that recollection of the answer comes up, then they compare that to being mindfulness, to being this quality of sati or recollection. And so this is kind of a recollection that's concerned with our memory, concerned with our studies. Uh, but in terms of the practice, we have this mindfulness, recollection of death, for instance, a recollection of the body and its unstable nature. And when we recollect these themes, um, then the mind comes to peace. And then through this, um, our wisdom becomes sharper and sharper. And it does so through mindfulness, the sati and sampajanya, this clear awareness. That when samadhi is in a firm state, then wisdom can arise, knowledge can arise. And this is the wisdom that comes through mental cultivation, this bhavana mayapanya, this clear knowledge arising. And then what comes along with this is this deep joy and happiness as well. So how do these things arise? Well, they rise from our development of mindfulness, from having a lot of mindfulness, from recollecting the breath, for instance, and having this anapanasati, cultivating anapanasati. And so really all of these Kamatana objects, these meditation objects, are concerned with cultivating mindfulness. Um, mindfulness over death, mindfulness over the body. But the contemplation of anicca, dukkha, anatta, um, this is to bring understanding into the Dhamma. Um, this is for the purpose of vipassana, giving rise to wisdom. And so we need to have our mindfulness and to contemplate first in order for this wisdom to arise, for this clear knowledge to appear. And then if we use this method of wisdom first, um, then there's that knowledge, and then from that, samadhi comes up. And when the samadhi is well established, then we come back and contemplate once again, again, even clear understanding. And then the mind becomes empty from all of the attachments that it has towards the body. But this happens little by little. And that this wisdom, vipassana, appears like this in the stages. And so sometimes when we, when we can do this, when this wisdom arises, then there's a profound happiness that comes up. And we also feel a very deep respect towards the Buddha. And this comes through our understanding of the Dhamma, through seeing the Dhamma in this way. So we just practice like this, 
We do this a lot. We develop this a lot. And we don't give up. We don't retreat. But rather cultivate these qualities of sati, sampajanya, always cultivating our hearts, contemplating the body in order to bring the mind to peace. And so if the mind is not peaceful, if it's in a chaotic state, then we know that in a chaos. We have the mindfulness there, knowing that right now the mind is in a mess. And then we can contemplate there, that spot as well. Um, contemplate how all things are unstable. All things are just temporary. They just come up, they stay for a bit, and they cease. And that there's nothing that lasts forever. And so we reflect um, in this way. But if we don't do this, if we don't practice, then what will happen then? In the space of just one day, you can see how this avidya, ignorance or delusion, and craving and clinging are always appearing, aren't they? And this happens all throughout the day. There's this constant um, giving rise to me and the things which belong to me. So initially, this ego or the self can be very coarse, and it can be very strong as well, a very heavy sense of self. And when the mind is in the state, when there's this really strong sense of self, then the mind is in a lot of suffering as well. And that everything that one does is for the sake of oneself. It's all self-serving. And even if that means harming other people, and if it does mean harming other people, then there's a lot of um, difficulties that can arise from that. And even though there is still love there within the mind, it's love towards oneself and the people close to oneself, one mother or father, for instance. And this love can cause us to do things which are incorrect, cause us to harm ourselves or to harm others, to create a lot of difficulty and chaos. And so perhaps there are some things which are very hard to come about. And even though they're not ours, they belong to other people, um, still we take them as ours because we want to give them to those who we love. And perhaps um, this thing is something which can prevent or ward off illness and sickness. And so we may love our parents, and so we give these things to our parents and those that we love first. Um, but it's not correct, because doing this is not following the system, it's not following the laws. Um, that really we should be um, giving these things or allowing the officials to distribute them, because they don't actually belong for us. So say if we ask for ten of these items, we just we should only, following the law, just use one for ourselves and give the other nine to the officials. But if we give them to our family, then that's not right, is it? 
that this is self that's arising and we need to abandon this self. Really all of the stealing, the swindling, the corruption that happens, um, this is from the sense of self. These are self-serving activities and from the love that comes up due to the sense of self. And so even though some people may have, they may mean well, so they may steal in order to give to the needy, um, we may ask, well, is that correct? Well, it's not completely correct, is it? This is actually a harmful act. This is papa. And so we need to abandon this sense of self, abandon this evil first. Abandon it through our body, our speech, and our mind. We need to have the mindfulness there to, to recollect and to know that we shouldn't be doing these things. Because the Buddha taught us to be generous. And this generosity, it's not just a trivial matter. That this really is something that we do need to develop. It is important. And so during normal times, this act of sacrifice, it's not so hard. But during times of crisis, it's very difficult. But there are still those who have the kindness within their hearts to, to give, to help each other out. And seeing that in these times of difficulty, in these times where there are many hardships, many problems, and that there are those who can sacrifice through the energy of their body, the energy of their hearts, giving their wealth to help those in society, those who are going through a hard time, and those who have many problems in their lives. And so in this present day, there's this pandemic that's spread about. But there are also those who have hearts of kindness, who are helping those um, going through a hard time due to this pandemic, giving medicine, distributing food or blankets, clothing, helping out in many different ways. And these are all very, very good things to be doing, to have this kindness, this compassion within our hearts, and to be helping each other out in this way. And there are also those who help monasteries, who may go to stay in the monastery, have this firm faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And so they offer masks to the monastics, or offer medicines, the four requisites, come and offer food, or they may offer money and leave it up to the monastery um, those in charge of the monastery, um, as to how uh, that is used. And so this requires this faith within our hearts to help each other out, to have this effort um, to assist one another. And all of these are meritorious and good acts. And so when people are like this, when they're always sacrificing in this way, always have generous hearts, then there just won't be a feeling that they would want to have other people's property as their own. And even if it may be in times of crisis like this, um, they still don't want to take 
other people's things, even if those things are very difficult to find. Because they see that by doing that, one would be harming others, harming oneself and harming others as well. And that it's better to just follow the established systems and ways of doing things, that that's safer, it's better to do it in that way. And so some people may think that they have certain loved ones and they want to sacrifice just for them. And they want to give things for them, their mother or father, for instance. And um, is that wrong? Well, it's not entirely correct. And later on, they may (coughs) develop sila and see how really being virtuous is better and then come to sacrifice and have this quality of generosity as something that's just normal within their hearts and their lives. And then they may also gain, um, or they may become close to wise people and then come to hear about the Dhamma and study the Dhamma and gain a confidence in their hearts that this path is the right path. And so they then set their hearts on it, on practicing, on cultivating, in order to study, in order to gain knowledge, in order for wisdom to come up, so this clear knowing can arise. So we should always try to be ones who have faith, and ones who are mindfulness as well, having a mindfulness established in the body, the feelings, the mind, and the Dhamma, having a mindfulness here, having sampajanya, this clear awareness here, always looking after the heart so the wisdom can arise. So that we can see that the body is merely a body, feelings are merely feelings, the mind is merely a mind, and that the Dhamma is just the Dhamma. And so we should set our hearts on this. And if we do so, if we sincerely practice in this way, then in this life, then we must see the Dhamma. And we must see the Buddha as well. And so may all of you set your hearts on this.